Susan Honeygood is an influencer, blogger, author, entrepreneur, and the founder of the award-winning website honeygood.com. Honeygood's book for grandmothers, Stories for My Grandchild, is a prompted journal where Honey reminds us sharing stories from a grandmother's past gives her grandchildren a sense of identity, a connection to their heritage, and a deeper relationship to their grandmother. Grandchildren will learn about their family through her memories and, more importantly, about the values that they will be handed down for future generations. Stories for My Grandchild is published by Abrams Notary of New York and is available on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Welcome, everyone. The Honey Good interviews inform and spark discussions for all facets of relevant issues for women better than 50. I'm Honey Good, and I'm here today with expert and influencer, Dr. Barbara Holstein, a positive psychologist an award-winning published author, playwright, and filmmaker. She has been a contributor to the Wall Street Journal, Red Book, Time Online, Cosmopolitan, The Today Show, and Family Circle Magazine. She is committed to helping girls, tweens, teens, and women of all ages develop a strong sense of self, confidence, resiliency, and the courage to develop their talents and potential to the fullest. Welcome, Dr. Holstein. Welcome, I should say. Thank you. Hello, and it is fabulous to be with you. Well, it's fabulous to have you. I love when you refer to yourself as a positive psychologist. What led you down this path on a personal and professional level? That's such a great question, honey. On a personal level, uh, obviously as a psychologist, I was in therapy at times for myself. It's kind of a, a smart thing to do if you're going to be a psychologist in private practice. And um, I noticed even for myself that at times... I felt the psychologist or the person I was seeing didn't really pick up on my talents or potential. Rather, they certainly leaped onto my deficits, which I had prepared ahead of time so they were easy to find. <laughs> and um, by the time we all finished exaggerating them, instead of feeling uplifted, sometimes I felt lousy. Uh, when I left. Uh, that's just a small little segment of my own journey because many, many times that didn't happen. But as I began to treat clients over many years, about the first 10 years of my practice, I strongly felt that as a psychologist, I had to angle in in a certain way to get them to really tell me the good news about themselves and what was really working. That 
that's a part of ourselves that we tend to be shy about. And I confirmed this in a research project I did where I interviewed women I didn't know who were not my clients. And again and again, I found that unless we learn how to recognize what's good about ourselves and what our own talents are, our potential, we dismiss them from ourselves, we dismiss them from telling others, and it can kind of become a vicious circle where we focus too much on what doesn't work and what's wrong with ourselves rather than, rather than what's right. So this whole thing became personal, it became professional, and I ended up writing my first book around the whole subject, which is called The Enchanted Self, A Positive Therapy. And in this book, I disclose a lot of my own background and how women were perceived in my family, not by my parents, but by relatives and cousins. And it wasn't always great. For example, I, I, love, I love this lovely aunt, but I remember when I was about 12 sitting in her kitchen and she said, um, Barbara, don't grow to be more than five feet two because men like a tiny petite gal. Well, that was a problem because my father was six feet four and a half and my mother was five seven. I don't think I was going to stop at five feet, two inches. And, uh, you know, the, the hidden, um, ways that women are diminished were very prevalent when I was growing up and perhaps yourself, honey, uh, they're somewhat less prevalent today, but they're always there. Well, I, I think that you are a very wise woman. And now I think that everyone understands why you call yourself um, what you do. And um, uh, it is the way to be. Why bring out the bad when there's all this good? So I right. applaud you. And I, I have another question. Why did you decide to focus your practice on females of all ages? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, my practice is men and women. But um, what happened was, before I did my research project, I researched what had been done as research project, pro projects. And there's many, many, many more studies that have been done on men than on women. So um, at least that was true uh, 25 years ago. I'm not really quite sure today. But I decided that women really needed a boost forward, that women have been second class in many, many ways through many, many cultures for thousands of years, and who knows before thousands of years. And whatever I could do to help women, and I mean by that girls to women over 50, um, feel proud of themselves, but even more than that, recognize their talents and recognize perhaps the level of education they need to fulfill their potential. That and, became the driving force of my life. Well, and you wanted them to soar and you felt or you knew they had that ability. Um, yes. 
Uh, I, you believe that um, recalling memories of our youth is a key factor in leading a happy and purposeful life. I had an aha moment a few months ago. Through my writings over the past five years, I have been, without realizing it, reliving my life, my memories, so I can attest yes. to your findings and can understand why you are a firm believer in the importance of focusing on memory and positive memories. Can you delve into this philosophy? Yes. yes. Well, actually, pretty much when you go to a therapist, they're looking for the darker memories. And um, that can serve a purpose, and sometimes we must know if somebody has really been violated or, you know, what things have happened so we know how to help. But for most people day to day, the it's the positive memories that we have of ourselves that actually have within them like an energy burst to push us forward currently. And once you start to get a sense of this, you can really see it um, because there is no, you know, there's no closer person really in your life. You may love someone beyond, but really, like they say, be yourself because everyone else is taken. You know, we, we are very close to our own selves. We know in subtle ways, what turns us off and why a medium color blue lists my day, but a navy blue may, puts me in the dumps. You know, all these thousands of little things that are different and separate just because I am me. And as we get to know ourselves, and that means as far back as you want to go, or maybe just the past year is fine enough, you know, to kind of look at yourself, we see, we not only can enjoy, oh, wow, I was so funny that night when we were out to dinner. That was great, the way I entertained people, even though I had a headache. You know, you can applaud yourself, but you can also begin to see your potential. And most of us do not live up to our potential. We simply wouldn't dare because we haven't harvested it enough and understood the components necessary to make it really come alive. And we have to do the digging. No one else is going to really do it for us. And the more positive we are, the more confidence we build, the happier we become, and we begin, I think, to feel our power. I know you are the author of several books, and your book, Seven Gateways to Happiness and the Enchanted Self, discusses ways for us to find more joy. So tell us about them and share your yes. advice. Well, the seven, uh, the seven Gateways to Happiness book 
that's a good one to bring up. And that, like the Enchanted Self, they're all available on Amazon. The seven gateways, I decided to find an easy way to help women know where to start. Because we all are good in some areas and not so good in others. So I divided it into seven sections. And the first section is getting a sense of your own um, talents and a little bit understanding who you are, your traits, your interests, you know, taking a good look at on the positive side of the coin of who you are and hopefully getting some pride and good feelings with that. The second gateway is more longitudinal, like understanding your genealogy, where you come from, if you have a a limitation of some sort, being honest about it with yourself, you know, what, what you're dealing with. If you have an addiction that you have to periodically clear up uh, or you have cleared up, I mean, all of this honesty and also a kind of love of the whole history of your life. You may be the first person that graduated college. You may have great, great grandparents that did amazing things to escape a war. All of this is like your heritage and it's rich and as grandparents, you know, uh, honey, we've talked so much about how can we make the grandparents of the United States like amazing, feeling amazing and being amazing. A lot of it is through understanding their heritage and their talents. And passing that down to their grandchildren and their children. Exactly, exactly. I I Uh, think uh, it would be great for women listening today to sit down with a cup of hot tea or coffee and make a list of everything positive about themselves, what makes them happy, and uh, search their genealogy, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, realize how, how fabulous they really are. And also to get rid of some of the things in their life that really don't mirror who they are. That is such an important point. And we all, my books um, and my seven gateways focus on all of this, but I think you have even done a more superb job in isolating some of this thing, the the ways of getting rid of some of this stuff. Um, I've been very, very attracted to this gal who's from Japan that's doing all this decluttering on TV. yes, yes. And she has this thing about if it's not giving you joy, get rid of it. And I think we're so brought up to feel obligated. And, of course, you don't want to be intentionally mean to people and discard them like, you know, a deck of cards while I'm getting rid of the tennis spades or the you know, whatever, the jack, the jack, queen, I don't need any more. That's crazy. But we do have to recognize that um, some people, some places, some foods, some interests are really not good for us and stand up and create a matrix of what really is. 
And that does go into my third gateway, which is learning, discovering what you need to elevate yourself and do, do the right education, things like that. Because women typically have, under, have managed, I shouldn't say managed, it's not their fault. We've been undereducated and uh, statistically have not, have not taken our place, whether it's in politics medicine, anywhere. When we, we do a great job and we've had lots of Nobel Prize winners and so on, but we haven't pushed hard enough to get the levels of education that often are needed to live up to our potential. Well, I agree with that. And I think that times are changing, don't you? And you know what else I think? Everybody goes through their life with negatives. Negative things happen. But I truly believe that every negative that has ever happened to me, I've turned it into a positive because it's been a lesson. And uh, we all need lessons in life, don't we? Of course, of course. I think, though, that um, I do think that you are, you know, I, I hope you don't mind if I keep saying you're amazing, but I've, you do have a certain resiliency and spark. It isn't always so close to the surface, particularly with the women and the girls. You know, as I work with people, I, it takes a while to get to it. And one of the ways that often it's got to is through like starting uh, junior college, community college, most places in this country now have almost free two-year community colleges somewhere within travel distance. And they're amazing places to become, start your role on becoming a, an accountant or a nurse or you name it. And um, I'm thinking of one young lady I know who had been down a very bad path of drug addiction and things like that. And she's now finishing engineering training in the two-year college, and she'll transfer. And, um, and what about trade schools? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yes. for example, your selfie filmmaking. You, you could right. go to a trade school, and you could start doing film. You could Absolutely. start doing many, many different things. And your films... Uh, cover subjects that girls face today. Uh, yes. What led you down that path? Well, that's uh, uh, it's the most amazing path. Um, that came out of the two books, started with the two books that I've written for girls, which are great books for the moms and grandmas to read with the girls, The Truth, Diary of a Gutsy Tween, and Secrets, Diary of a Gutsy Teen, because within these books, I've embedded probably 50 or 60 different subjects that are relevant, that we all have gone through or our kids or our grandkids have, whether it's moving, uh, whether it's a first crush, whether it's hearing your parents fight when you're lying in bed at night, whether it's a pet dying, you know, you name it. You, and you know, you're not... You're not, they're not reading it. They're, they're visualizing it. Yes. Through yes. film. And that... Well, the, 
in the books they're reading it yes. and they're using you know they're doing the old-fashioned thing we did listening to the radio and um but why did i get into filmmaking i think honey really you know i believe a lot that our lives do have certain purpose and and certain paths some things will never happen for us like i could never stand on toe shoes and believe me i tried a number of times some things just don't happen and some things do happen and ever since i was a child I not only kept a diary, but I was very interested in acting. I borrowed my aunt's uh, camera, moving picture camera. Of course, I couldn't figure out how to use it. I mean, in those days, you didn't just take pictures on a moving, you know, filming. You had to have some sense of what you were doing. But all these little gems, as I look back, were like little pebbles in a dish waiting for the right mixture and when I figured out that if I could get the the actresses actresses to do their own filming of a lot of the scenes that I was kind of accomplishing so many of my purposes because now I'm building the self-esteem and the potential for this actress and um, the same for the audience, because they know the girl is filming herself. And we're covering all these topics that need to be talked about. And it's fun. You know, it's it's kind of lonely sometimes to be a psychologist. I, know, uh, I don't know if you ever at, thought about it. Look, <laughs> look at everything you've accomplished. You know, but I'm saying filmmaking and even writing the play that led to some of the film scenes uh, also takes me away from the solitary process of study and uh, being a psychologist, you know, so it's all very good. It's good for me, and I hope it's good for the public. We just finished on Sunday the latest filming of my new film, which the tentative title is um, Truth, The Truth is Stranger Than Fiction, and within it, the girl and Two of her pals at school are in the bathroom when a lockdown comes over the loudspeaker and the sounds of bullets. And believe me, this is heavy material. I want to turn to another subject that's very heavy material. I have read there's an epidemic of adult children who no longer communicate with their parents. What is your opinion on this epidemic, and Mm -hmm. what recommendations can you impart with us as to how to address mending these broken relationships and regaining positive communication, especially between mothers and adult daughters? And when do you say enough is enough, or do you? You can't ever say enough is an, is enough if you're the ad, if you're the parent. Of course, the young adult child can say enough is enough, but not you. Basically, exactly why it's happened as much as it has, I'm really not sure. I don't think that the research is totally in on that. I think that um, some of it may be because us 
as parents and grandparents, um, did a lot of moving away. We didn't stay in the neighborhoods the way prior to that in Europe or here, depending, you know, where the the family was. There was a tendency to live in a three-family house with several generations or an apartment with generations, and there would be a senior living right in the home that people would start to take care of, you know, all this stuff. And all of that, people started to fragment, and I think that to some extent, um, daughters and sons uh, between, I don't know, I'm going to say 25 and late 40s, um, feel very entitled to live their lives exactly as they choose to, not to be too obligated in family life. This is in general. I'm not saying specifically at all. And um, expecting their parents to kind of not bother them, if I could put it loosely. And that's not a good position because parents always make mistakes, always say the wrong thing. And what has to happen as the healing goes on between the younger generation and the older generation is that if, if, if the child is not, you know, is allowed some time and space, and that's often what has to happen, they begin to realize, particularly if they're raising their own kids, how tough life is. And um, they're willing to meet somewhere in the middle, slowly. I've seen with many of these people, particularly young women, I haven't honestly dealt with many young men, just a couple, but lots of young women. They'll just give their mother a call one day and say, you know, the baby's awfully cute. Do you want to stop over or something? And they'll never really discuss it. You know, well, the mother has been waiting for half a year. Let's sit down and have an eight-hour discussion. Well, it's probably not going to happen because once it's over, it seems to be over. There's no, um, there isn't much renegotiating, except hopefully what the older parent has learned. And maybe she was interrupting too much or calling too often or who knows? I mean, it is a time of deep reflection for the older parent. I understand. And what about in second marriages? Does that play a role with well, adult children? Sure. I'm sure it does. I'm sure. Um, I mean, I think that the problems, look, no matter how much you want your mother or father to be happy, there is the loss of a dream to see your parents, um, see a parent with a new partner. And sometimes that's hard for some, some people it's not a problem at all. And for some people it's very hard. Well, discussing parents, I'm curious, what's the most important lesson your parents taught you? And okay. what do you think is the most important lesson you taught your daughters oh wow well my daughter and son um as far as what they taught me it was a little different with each parent my mother taught me to value and love my imagination and my creativity and to feel that 
uh, if anything went wrong, some big surprise, something wonderful was going to happen very soon. And she did things like in the morning, she'd tell me her dreams and ask me my dreams. And if we were bored, we had to figure out what we were going to do if we won a million dollars tomorrow. She was just lots of fun. My dad, it was all about 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. Hang in, follow the right path, don't give up, do it over if you have to, get up at 5 a.m., not every day, but get up if you have to, study again, I'll drive you to school, I'll read the paper, help you out, I'll proof the paper. You know, this constant, constant support. I don't want you to work if you need to study. Very focused on getting ahead. And I ended up my only friend and contemporary. I got my doctorate at 27. And a lot of it was his powerful influence on me. As I, far as I, I think that you had the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I really do. And you became very successful, and yet you still use your imagination. Exactly. I'm very thankful. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And I don't know. It's hard for me to say what I've given my own children. It's really an, a much more awkward question, aside from, you know, 100% love without question. Um, That's I a good I answer. Was, <laughs> and I think I was fun in the sense that I was someone you could play with. A lot of parents don't know how to play with kids, whether it's to get out, you know, a Monopoly set and just play or whether it's to make up a game. We're now in a wait, you know, you're now the waitress, the little kid. Take my order and bring in all the fake food, you know, whatever it is. And I always loved to play with kids. So I think I gave them. There must have been something powerful about that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm curious about something else. You've had a career for several years, so I imagine your husband is in sync with your working. What do you tell career women whose husbands have retired and the roles have reversed themselves? Make sure you don't stay together too much during the day. You're going to drive each other crazy. So uh, it's very hard because a man that has maybe run a company will now try to run the wife. And um, a career woman has to be very clear and by her actions, you know, show how important her work and her a meeting of certain people for lunch and staying strong by exercising in the gym or whatever it is, um, having the right clothes, even though she may not be a high earner. You know, all the things that are important to her, she's going to have to climb on her horse and be able to be clear about. Um, most men get a kick out of it as long as they're allowed, you know, their own space. If they want to feel comfortable um, having a boat or playing golf or, you know, working for one of the political parties in town. And everybody has to be reciprocally interested and okay with what each other is doing. 
but um, you have to stay strong because it's this. I see it all the time in my practice um, because the man's men often don't have important enough to, uh, roles to play anymore, and we should help them find that. You know, you hear of something where a discussion group needs a leader or something, or uh, young accountants need advice on how to build a practice. You know, you stay alert because you love your husband and you try to create a world that's going to work for him too. talk about overcoming obstacles. In many families, there is competition between the daughter and her mother and between two grandmothers. What words of wisdom would you give to a mother and daughter and grandmothers who are at odds with one another? Well, with the mothers and daughters, assuming the daughter has not rejected you, it's more like the little tiffs that go on. I think the older woman should try to find out from the younger woman, how can I be most helpful with you in raising your kids? You know I adore them. They're, they're the earth, to, they're everything to me. What's best for you? If I come and pick them up and take them out for a meal, if I work with them on their homework in another room so you have free space, what works? Because I'm only looking to do good, 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 you know? Um, as far as uh, the two grandmothers, hopefully they're, they're, they are either either like each other, so they both go to the park with the uh, 12-month-old baby, and one of them could push the swing till she got tired, and then the other one could do it. But if they're not getting along, hopefully their interests are divergent enough. So maybe one of them likes to help in the house. And the other one likes to bring the baby over to her house. You know what I'm saying? I Hopefully do. you can find a way to split it. I think that there is, I, have, I don't have the situation, but I do think that there are um, many grandmothers who are jealous, who are upset with the maternal grandmother or the daughter-in-law who allows the baby only a little while to be mm-hmm. with the son's um, mother versus a lot of time with the daughter's mother. And I asked this question uh, because I think that the audience might uh, want an answer Somebody wrote to me once and asked me, and I said, um, well, I think the grandmother should try and make peace with the other grandmother. I think that's really important. I really do, for the sake of the children Mm -hmm. and the grandchildren Mm -hmm. and themselves. But I know this is a, a big problem, and I'm wondering, because you're wiser than I am as a professional, that you might be able to add to what I just said? Well, I think you're absolutely on the right track. And the only thing I would add is that if we always think about the younger generations, 
whether it's our children or our grandchildren and hopefully our great-grandchildren, we think about it with the with our eyes and our mind of how can I be of help to you as, you know, not so much whether I get my needs uh, met as I hoped in a fantasy. I'd have my six grandchildren around me every weekend, and in reality, I'm seeing them four times a year, and, you know, one couple's divorced, you know, and I've got to deal with it. The fantasy may not be met, but I can still give love and and be helpful because I'm not getting into the small stuff, and I am big enough to give up certain dreams so that I can be there in ways that work because it's all about raising the next generation and the next generation to be wholesome and feel loved and never, you know, never forget certain feelings of being safe and loved because there were people behind that child. And um, if we stay focused like that, we're going to figure solutions. If we don't think about ourselves and we think about the next generation, we might be able to put our differences aside. Mm -hmm. I do want to mention your credits that uh, you uh, people can go to SelfieFilmmakers.com, TheTruthForGirls.com. Your website is drholstein.com. Your books can be bought on Amazon. And people are free to write to me. And people can Uh, write to you at drholstein.com. They can, or I can just quickly say my Gmail address is barbara.holstein at gmail.com. That's perfect. So I am going to end by saying it's been my joy to be with you, to learn from you, and I want to thank you for sharing yourself, your time, and your wisdom. So until next time, this is Honey Good saying goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Susan Honeygood is an influencer, blogger, author, entrepreneur, and the founder of the award-winning website Honeygood.com. 